This Month of Womanica is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a hub for conversation about what it means to be professional today and what the future of work might look like. LinkedIn members are discussing the changing landscape of when, how, and where we work, and what it looks like when we need to take time away to focus on family or mental health. These days, more of us are feeling comfortable showing up to work as our full selves and encouraging others to do the same. Our needs should not stunt career development and growth. Instead, the workplace will improve as employees show up authentically on their own terms. Post your truth. Show the world the authentic professional you. And join the conversations redefining professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Welcome professionals. Hey listeners, it's Jenny with another podcast I think you'll love. TED Talks Daily. Every weekday, you'll hear new ideas on every topic imaginable, from artificial intelligence to how the war in Ukraine can change everything. One episode in particular that I thought you'd really like is the recent talk from creator, comedian, and actress Lily Singh. Lily gets into how women and girls are conditioned to believe success is a seat at the table, when really, we should build a better table. She's hilarious and not only shares intimate experiences from her career, but also offers ways we can build a more inclusive society where girls are encouraged and empowered to do great things. Stick around after this episode to hear part of her talk or head over to TED Talks Daily from the TED Audio Collective, wherever you listen. Hello from Wonder Media Network. I'm Michelle Monaghan, and this is Womanica. On July 16, 1945, the United States detonated the world's first atomic bomb. The city of Hiroshima lies prostrate after the withering blast which wiped out 53,000... Eventually, hundreds of bombs were detonated under the theory that radioactivity would remain localized and not spread to areas of human habitation. Turns out, scientists were wrong. Let's give it up for the geochemist who debunked this theory, inspiring the world to rethink their approach to nuclear testing. Let's talk about Katsuko Saruhashi. Katsuko Saruhashi was born on March 22, 1920, in Tokyo, Japan. Her first name translates to Victorious, a name she would certainly live up to. As a child, Katsuko was shy with a keen sense of curiosity. Legend has it that she was first drawn to science, watching raindrops slide down the window in her classroom. It got her wondering what caused rain. Years later, she would conduct groundbreaking research into acid rain. After high school, Katsuko worked at an insurance firm. When she was 21, she convinced her parents to let her quit her job to attend the Imperial Women's College of Science. At the time, World War II was leaving many women struggling without husbands or fathers. Women had little professional training to help them take care of themselves. Realizing this, Katsuko's mother supported her decision to continue on with school and achieve financial independence. Katsuko graduated from college in 1943 with a degree in chemistry. 
She joined a geochemistry lab at the Meteorological Research Institute, where she studied carbon dioxide levels in seawater. She developed what is now known as Sarahashi's table, which was the first method for measuring carbon dioxide using temperature, pH, and chlorinity. Sarahashi's table became the global standard and was used by oceanographers and geochemists until the computer age. In 1957, Katsuko earned her PhD in chemistry from the University of Tokyo, becoming the first woman to do so. She stayed at the Meteorological Research Institute, which became her intellectual home for a total of 35 years. She continued her research into CO2 levels in the ocean and published a seminal paper with her advisor Yasuo Miyake on the topic in 1976. Their research showed that oceans emit twice as much carbon dioxide as they absorb. Prior to their findings, the scientific community believed oceans were able to absorb carbon dioxide. Their discovery prompted scientists to rethink the approach to combating global warming. Katsuko also made transformative discoveries in ocean-borne nuclear contamination. After World War II, the United States continued to carry out nuclear tests. One of their testing sites was in the Pacific Ocean near Bikini Atoll, which lies 2,300 miles southwest of Japan. In 1954, Japanese fishermen, who had traveled downwind of the testing site, fell mysteriously ill. The Japanese government asked Katsuko and her team to investigate. It was difficult to uncover the levels of radioactivity in something as vast as the ocean, but she was up for the challenge. Katsuko and her team tracked ocean circulation patterns and found that, sure enough, Radioactivity was not confined locally to testing sites. In less than two years, radioactive fallout had reached Japan. If the U.S. continued nuclear testing, the entire Pacific Ocean would be contaminated by 1969. Americans were skeptical of Katsuko's findings. They questioned her methods and were reluctant to end nuclear testing. As a result, they invited her to come to California to test her methodology against what American oceanographer Theodore Folsom had found. Likely due to sexism and anti-Japanese sentiment at the time, when she arrived at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in California, she was asked not to commute to the Institute each day. Instead, she was given a small wooden hut to complete her research in. Despite not having access to the facilities of Scripps itself, Katsuko completed the test and achieved results that were more accurate than Theodore Folsom's methods. Scientists had no choice but to work off of Katsuko's findings, which confirmed the need to end atmospheric nuclear testing. While the U.S. conducted underground tests until the early 90s, their last public atmospheric test was in 1962. The following year, the world's nuclear powers signed the Partial Test Ban Treaty, which outlawed atmospheric nuclear testing entirely. Katsuko's impact grew beyond her research. 
due to her belief that scientists cannot operate in a vacuum. She believed they had a social responsibility. She frequently engaged with the public, teaching them about her work and listening to opinions on what scientists should prioritize. She also leveraged her own success to help other female scientists. Early in her career, Katsuko established the Society of Japanese Women Scientists, a community for women in science to find friendship and support. She also received many honors and awards. She was the first woman elected to the Science Council of Japan and the first woman to receive the Miyake Prize for Geochemistry. In 1981, she founded her own award, the Saruhashi Prize, which is awarded to Japanese women in the natural sciences. She died at the age of 87 on September 29, 2007. The Saruhashi Prize continues to be awarded each year. For more information, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Womanica Podcast. Special thanks to Jenny and Liz Kaplan for inviting me to guest host today's episode. Talk to you tomorrow. You see, my goal was always a seat at the table. It's what women are conditioned to believe success is. And when the chair doesn't fit, when it doesn't reach the table, when it's wobbly, when it's full of splinters, we don't have the luxury of fixing it or finding another one. But we try anyways. We take on that responsibility and we shoulder that burden. Now, I've been fortunate enough to sit at a few seats at a few different tables. And what I've learned is when you get the seat, trying to fix the seat won't fix the problem. Why? Because the table was never built for us in the first place. The solution build better tables. Allow me to be your very own IKEA manual. I would like to present to you a set of guidelines I very eloquently call How to Build a Table That Doesn't Suck. I've been told I'm very literal. <laughs> Now, right off the bat, let me tell you this assembly is going to take more than one person or group of people. It's going to take everyone. Are you ready? Should we dive in? Let's do it. Up first, don't weaponize gratitude. Now, don't get me wrong, gratitude is a great word. It's nice, it's fluffy, a solid 11 points in Scrabble. Okay? <laughs> However, let's be clear although gratitude feels warm and fuzzy, it's not a form of currency. Women are assigned 10% more work and spend more time on unrewarded, unrecognized, and non promotable tasks. Basically, what this means is all the things men don't want to do are being handed to women. And a lot of those things largely include. Things that advance inclusivity, equity, and diversity in the workplace. So, hear me when I say a woman shouldn't be grateful to sit at a table. She should be paid to sit at a table. <laughs> Especially ones she largely helped build. And a woman's seat shouldn't be threatened if she doesn't seem grateful enough. In other words, corporations, this step involves a woman doing a job. And being paid in money, opportunity, and promotion, not just gratitude. And women, yeah, go ahead, live it up, do your, do your, live your life. And women, a moment of real talk, trust me, I've been there and I know it is so tough. 
But we have to understand and remember that being grateful and being treated fairly are not mutually exclusive. I can be grateful but still know exactly what I deserve, and that's the way to do it.